just want to start off by saying that, that God loves you. God loves you so much. And He loves to be able to help you when you're hurting. Um, he loves to heal the sick. He loves to give hope to those who are hopeless. Uh, and so, in saying those few words, I'm saying that God knows what you need and He's able to give it to you. And I wanted to, I wanted to talk to him, about Him a little bit before I talk about the devil. <laughs> I, just feel like, I just feel like God should have first place and we need to say some good stuff about Him before we start saying the bad stuff about the other guy. Uh, and I don't say the other guy in, in trying to elude in any way that they're equal. God is greater than sin. God is greater than death. God is greater than hell. And God is greater than the devil. And I know that you believe that because of the response that we got from those statements. So God is good and all the time. And we don't ever tire of saying that either. But there is a devil and he loves to see people hurt. He loves to see people sick. He loves to see people hurting uh, and helpless and hopeless. That's something that he enjoys. And he loves to see people who are confused and he loves to see people who are frustrated. But, and he will do whatever he can to cause you to have those feelings. But here's what God does. God will take the worst that, that the devil has to give and he will turn it into something beautiful and helpful, and, and life-giving. And I think that if we, can, if we can wake up every day facing what we have to face with that knowledge, that God can take this mess of a life that I have made and turn it into something beautiful and something for His glory, I think that right there is encouragement enough to get out of bed. What do you think? <laughs> it is. That's wonderful. So... He can make anything that the devil has to throw at us a doorway into maybe our greatest blessing or the greatest glory that we'll see God receive in our own lives. So I want us to think about that and, and, and realize too, without giving too much time to the devil, that he is a supernatural being and he is over all of the dark hosts. And God, of course, we know is the ruler of all the forces of heaven. Um, if we were in Hollywood, we would say good versus evil. Uh, you have a good king and you have a bad king. But again, there, it's not an equal thing. Uh, God is greater. God is victorious. God is, the king, God is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So we, we segue into that, into understanding that everything in our lives Everything is about worship, okay? We talk about worship a lot. Some, sometimes we, we think worship is just music and singing, but worship is the way we live our lives too, folks. It's, it's, it's how we live, it's how we love, it's how we, how we serve. And you, who you will worship, whoever it is that you worship, that's who you're going to serve. Now, as Christians, we understand that our God has taken, up, taken what we used to be and done away with it and made us something new. He is our king. We belong to him. I am his. He is mine, but I am his. And so my opportunity every day is to live a life of worship to my king. 
And sometimes that involves singing. <laughs> and, and especially when we gather together like we have this morning. But you will worship whoever it is that you worship. That's who you're going to serve. And you will serve whoever you worship. And God should be for His believers, for His children. I'm speaking specifically here. We should worship God intentionally. It should be something that we are intentional about. And we should acknowledge Him and we should honor Him intentionally when we have that opportunity. And serve Him out of the heart of love that He has given to us. But the devil, on the other hand, he does not require this same love and devotion and intentionality in worship and in service. He doesn't require that. But I think, this is what I, this is what I think, that, that in our lives, the fear and the worry and the anxiety and the frustration and the confusion and the resentment and the criticism and the hate and the jealousy and the bitterness and the hopelessness, all those things that we're aware of, I think that he tries to receive those things from our lives as worship. Because when we have those things going on in our hearts and in our lives, then that's all contrary to what God wants. But when we do the opposite of those things, when we refuse to worry, when we refuse to doubt, when we don't wallow around in confusion but seek the truth and believe the truth and not be critical and not be hateful and not be jealous and not be bitter, I believe that's living our lives in worship to our God and to our King. But if we're doing the other stuff, I believe He tries to receive that Himself as worship. He can't have us because somebody already has us. Amen? What I mean is for the believer. Now, this is strictly for the believer. God has you. Nothing can take you from His hand. He's got you. He keeps you. And He will keep you. But if He can cause these things in our lives, it makes Him Satan. If He can cause all those things in our lives, it makes Him very, very happy. And He wants to do whatever He can to get our attention and to get our affection away from God. Because when we allow the confusion and when we allow the anxiety and when we allow the hate and the bitterness that takes so much energy from us to maintain that, that same energy that we could be using to worship God and serve God with. And almost any, I would even go so far as to say this, almost any reaction that we can have outside of intentionally worshiping and glorifying and magnifying God, the enemy will try to steal that for himself. So we need to be intentional. When we hear bad news, we need to, we need to combat that with the truth. But God is in control. But God said these things would happen. But God said that we would have troubles and, and tribulations, but he has overcome all these things. So that, you know, that's worshiping God, even though we're being hit by the things that the enemy wants to use to discourage us. So that gets us to our scripture this morning. And I want us to turn to John chapter 11, if we haven't already. And we're going to jump around a little bit, but I want to try to get the gist, or the, the, the better part of this story so that we can continue on with, with what we want to talk about this morning. And it's going to be very familiar to you. This is the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus 
great friends of Jesus, and Lazarus gets sick, and Lazarus dies. So let's see what happens. Let's begin with verse number one. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Verse number three, therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. We see no hurry to get going, no hurry to run and be there. And then verse number seven, then after that saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. Let's go to verse number 11. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Verse number 14, then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Verse number 17, then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. And then verse number 19, and we're, gonna, we're not going to jump around anymore. We're going to read the rest of it. So verse number 19. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. And then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord... If thou hast been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live Oh, how he is setting up something really great that's going to happen. And you can tell in her responses that she still just doesn't quite get it. She was even a little bit, I think, upset. If you had been here earlier, we wouldn't be going through this. But he's trying to help her. So let's look at verse number 26. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And she saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then which were with her in the house and comforted her when they saw Mary that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, <laughs> it's almost like Mary and Martha had planned this, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Joseph therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. And then we have the shortest verse of scripture in the Bible, Jesus wept. And in those two words, we see the impact of, of what happened 
uh, that that's happening to Jesus, the impact that it's having on Jesus. And we see that, yes, He is God. Yes, He is the Son of God. But He was human too. And He understood. And, and He is a high priest that understands what we go through. And so He wept. And then said the Jews, Behold how He loved Him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus therefore again groaning in Himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, very practically, very, you know, make, what she said makes a lot of sense. Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Even that, even that you know, I can hear how that in some conversations could be a slam to Jesus. Lord, he's going to stink now because he's been dead for four days, you know, when we called you and you didn't come. Okay, so let's go on. Jesus saith unto her, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. And then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto him, loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. So we'll stop right there. And certainly as we think about this story and, and as, you know, we know the ending, so we, 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 we know how things turned out. But in the middle of that story, in that situation, because death is so final for us, isn't it? I mean, as believers, we understand that death is not the end, but still, on this side of death, we're not going to see our loved ones anymore. And so probably the fact that Lazarus had died spoke a lot to Mary and Martha. Words like, it's done, it's finished, this is the end, it is hopeless, give up. Jesus didn't come, it's hopeless, give up. That's probably what the situation was speaking to Mary and Martha. The end, it's terminal, forget it. Those words were written all over the situation. And they watched, you know, you think about Mary and Martha and what they went through up to this point. They watched their brother get sick. They loved their brother. They loved each other. It's a loving family. They watched their brother get sick. They watched him dwindle away. And when it looked like death was going to be the result, they said, our hope our only hope is Jesus. Send for Jesus. Get Jesus here. Jesus can heal Lazarus. Jesus can stop this plague of death and, and make the situation better. So they sent for Jesus. With every, with, probably with believing He is going to come. He will come running. He'll run His sandals off to get here. But He didn't come. Jesus didn't come. And I tell you, I think that 
we've probably all been in situations like that where we were praying and we were believing for a change. And what happened was things got worse. Things didn't get better. They got worse. And we might have even had the thought, well, Jesus didn't come through for me this time. And so this is the part of the story when they asked for Jesus to come and he didn't come. That kind of causes a little bit of friction and, and confusion maybe for us as believers because we know that Jesus got the message. And we have to know too that Jesus knew that all of their hopes were on him coming to keep the death thing from happening. They wanted Lazarus healed. But Jesus, as we read this, we can see Jesus waited deliberately to come. And we don't understand that because we want things now. We, we want it now. I want, I want you to heal my cancer before I even have to go and get the treatment. You know, I want you to uh, make money magically appear before they come and repossess everything. <laughs> you know, we, Jesus, come now. Come now. We need you now. But he deliberately waited. And now we have to figure out why. And if he deliberately waited to answer what they needed He'll probably do the same thing to us, won't he? He'll probably wait. Possibly. He knew that their hopes were on him, that, that he would come and heal Lazarus. But he waited until he knew that Lazarus was dead. And then he made the statement, I must go and wake him up. If we have read, read all the scripture, we would see that even the disciples thought that he meant that Lazarus was sleeping and that he would go and wake him up. But we know different because we, we've been at the story from the very beginning. Lazarus was dead. And so, again, I think that Jesus in his humanity probably wanted to run to, to the situation. He loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And he, he, the thought of them hurting and going through this was difficult for him. Just like, you know, as, a, as we're a family here, when you hear of a sickness or you hear of a need, you know, you go running to that individual, what can I do to help? Let me do this, let me do that. Because you want to do what you can, what you're able to do to make the situation better. We have to believe that Jesus felt the same way. But we also know Jesus made this statement in Scripture. He said, I only speak what I hear my Father speak, and I only do what I see my father do. So we have to believe that his reluctance to go see Lazarus came from his acting in obedience to his father. We have to make that conclude, draw that conclusion. So why delay though? So why would God want Jesus to delay? Why would he not allow Jesus to go right away? If Jesus would have rushed, he could have kept Lazarus from dying. But if you look at the end of the scripture that we read, you see there was a result that probably wouldn't have taken place if Lazarus hadn't died. See, many Jews <clears throat> who didn't believe on Jesus before, when they saw what happened, they believed. Now, if Jesus had come and before Lazarus died, and prayed over Lazarus, and Lazarus got better, can't you just see the way that human beings are? They would say something like this. 
Well, you know, he was probably on his way to getting better anyway, and it just so happens that Jesus prayed, and he got better. You know, no big deal. I mean, we see it all the time. But this was different because, it, the, because the situation was hopeless and helpless, and it was the end, and there was nothing more to be done. And then he did what had never been done, and it, it was to the amazement of everyone there. Well, maybe not everyone, but a lot of people there after that day believed on Jesus. And you know, you know, looking at our own lives and the problems that we have and the problems that we take to Jesus, you know, when we pray to God, you know, our attention and our intensity and our focus is centered on our problem, what we're going through and how we need God to, to come and intervene and move and make things different. And we assume that since our problem has our full attention, that our problem also has God's full attention. And, and I think that's an okay assumption to make because, again, God cares for you. He cared, he cared for you to send his son to die for you so that you could be in a re relationship with him. And it is a relationship. It's not, okay, I got him saved, I'm going to leave him alone now kind of thing. He is involved in your life every breath that you breathe, every second of the day. And he is aware of your problem and he is aware of your situation. He cares about your need. He feels your pain. He feels your sorrow. And the thing about it, though, is that he, he has other plans and other desires for you other than taking care of this situation. What could he possibly want to do? I mean, he's already saved you. He's given you a new heart. He's given you new desires. But what if through what we're going through, what if through this situation that we would have called the end and hopeless and helpless, what if he wants to grow us up a little bit? What if he wants to reveal himself more fully to us? Not give us more of himself because he has given us everything. But we, as we study and as we seek and as we pray, he reveals things to us. As we go through the situations in life, he reveals things to us that we wouldn't have known before. Maybe there's some here in the, in the congregation today that has never experienced God as the great healer. You've never had an illness. You've never had a sickness. The people in your life are, are basically healthy. But there, are, but there might be many more people, and I believe there are, who have been through a sickness or gone through something, and they know that God healed them and took care of their situation, and they, they know God as a healer. But He wants to reveal things to us through the experiences that we go through in life. He kind of wants to mature our faith. And as, a, as, as an end result of all of that, He will be glorified. Because for a believer, when you know that God has answered your prayer and you know that God has healed you or taken care of your problem, I believe that one of the first things you want to do is praise the Lord and thank Him for what He's done. Thank you, God. I prayed for that. And you answered that. And you might say something a little bit like, if you'd have got here sooner, he wouldn't have died. Well, Lord, if you'd have answered my prayer sooner, I wouldn't have had to go through this. <laughs> but you're still glad that he answered your prayer. So he has, he has plans for your life. 
in my life that we're not aware of. And so we want him in our problems to be completely occupied with our need. That's what we want. But God is also wanting to do things like growing your faith and growing your confidence in him. What kind of confidence do you have in God this morning? You you look back at your life and you see the disappointments in your life. Do you see those disappointments as God letting you down or, or not really caring about you? Or do you have confidence that what God does, God knows what he's doing. God knows what is happening and he's orchestrating things. He's making things take place and he's working things out for our good. That's what we, that's what we read in scripture. And so Jesus, again, Jesus could have arrived before Lazarus died and he could have healed him, but he didn't because he was going for something a little bit greater than that. He had something else in mind. And again, our life is like a a puzzle. And we just see a few pieces around us, but God, He knows what the lid of the puzzle box looks like. He knows what the end result is going to be. And and we're just stuck here in this piece and that piece, and we're trying to just put it all together. But He knows what's going to happen. And He's got something in mind. I think that what He had in mind for Mary and Martha was to strengthen and increase their faith and their confidence in Him. But it wasn't just Mary and Martha that He was thinking about because He loved them and they were on His mind, but you know, there were a lot of other people there. And you know what? God loves them too. And He wanted them to believe on His Son. They wanted them to have life-changing faith in His Son. And so Jesus didn't have to, I mean, God didn't have to stand there and go, okay, what can I do? What can I do? He didn't have to do that. God knows what to do. And that's our confidence in him. He already knows how things are going to work out. We're just trying to make it through the situation. But as we make it through the situation, we're not alone and we don't have to be anxious because he knows. And our confidence is in him and we just take a step at a time. And sometimes we can't even see to make that next step. But he, but he brings the ground up, raises up the ground to meet your feet, to give you sure steps. You understand what I'm saying? Because he knows where you're going. He knows where you're headed. And he will take care of us. And that's what he was going to do for Mary and Martha. And, you know, their faith took a hit that day. When Lazarus died, their faith took a hit. They had this kind of faith. I believe that Jesus can heal my brother. That's the kind of faith that they had. But you want to know something? (laughs) The kind of faith that he wanted them to have was, I believe that God can raise my brother from the dead. That's the kind of faith he wanted them to have. And maybe we have a, I believe that Jesus can heal the sickness kind of faith. But maybe he's trying to draw out of us, uh, I believe that God can raise the dead kind of faith through whatever our Lazarus situation is that we're going through. He waited for Lazarus to die because he was trying to solicit a raising the dead kind of faith from Mary and Martha. Because you see, when when Lazarus died, it maybe did a little something to the faith of Mary and Martha. It 
maybe, I don't know, knocked it down a notch or weakened it a little bit, you might say. Because they had faith that it could happen, but it just didn't happen. And so they rolled the stone over the door of the cave because it was final. And maybe that stone that was rolled over that grave could also be a tombstone that said, here lies the faith of Mary and Martha that used to be really strong, but it's taken a hit and it's not as strong as it used to be. And so, what, what happens next? You know, Lazarus has died, and Jesus has come. And when he came, Martha did not meet him with a passionate, living faith. She met him with disappointment and frustration and maybe even a little bit of resentment. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. That's what she said. And I think that, I think all of us would be upset if we were in her situation. If we knew that somebody could heal us or deliver us or give us a miracle and they didn't do it, we might be a little bit upset about that. We have all been disappointed when we thought that God was going to move in a certain way and he didn't do what we wanted him to do. We didn't do what we told him to do. And so if all that Jesus was there to do was to perform a miracle, he could have just went right then and there after her statement straight to the grave and healed Lazarus then and there. But he didn't do that, did he? What did he do? What did he do? Well, he starts speaking to them. And he starts speaking to them about their faith, didn't he? He says, Mary and Martha, if you believe, you will see. If you believe, you will see. Could, could God be saying that to us in our, in our situation? If you believe, you'll see. Because no matter what our situation, I know that encompasses everything, but no matter what our situation, no matter what it is, we have every reason to believe, right? I mean, God, look what God has done. He, he's creator. He's sustainer. He is Alpha, Omega, beginning and end. He's everything. So we have every reason to believe that in our situation, He's going to work it out. And we have reason to believe because of His track record, but also because of the Word of God, which gives us the truth. It's the only written, written word that is completely true 100% of the time. And still yet, we hit the New York Times bestseller list because there's some new idea or new way of doing things that seems to be working for some people. Maybe it'll work for me. <clears throat> but listen, Christian. Christian, believer, something has already worked for you, right? Something has already been done that's taken care of everything. Everything grace that is greater than sin. <laughs> you have already been taken care of and you are being taken care of as you go through whatever it is that you're going through. So he starts to talk to them about their faith and he wants their faith to grow and he wants it to really, really grow. And so that was, you can imagine the, what, the, what the situation was like and what they were feeling. And you can also understand that in your life, you have Lazarus 
situations too that you've kind of put helpless, hopeless, frustrating, why even try the end? You put those types of words over your situation. It could be concerning your marriage and you think you've tried everything that you can do. Maybe it is a physical situation. Maybe there's sickness. Sickness has ruled the day in your life or in your family. And so you've kind of put on that, that, you know, what's the point? The end of the story is things are not going to end well here. And of course, it could be a financial struggle. It could be some kind of setback in your life. Uh, maybe it's you have a problem with jealousy or envy or criticism or bitterness. And you, realize, you, you have realized, I don't think I'm ever going to be any different than I am right now. I, I think I'm just always going to be this way, miserable, and life is just going to be terrible. And so somehow or other, we've gotten hit and we've been hurt and we're thinking, what's the use anyway? Because we, we've all been through stuff like that. We're all going through stuff like that. But I believe that that's how the devil wants us to feel. And I believe that when we feel that way and we're not intentionally worshiping God and trusting God to do what only God can do and we're feeling all those negative feelings, I think that was the devil's intention. That's what he wanted to do in my life and what he wanted to do in your life. He wants to paint a picture of hopelessness. How many times in your life have you just breathed a sigh of hopelessness and depression? You know what I'm talking about. And I think for, I think for uh, Dad, uh, what he would say sometimes, <laughs> his little go-to phrase was, well, 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 well. Eight times. And so he was like, oh, goodness. I remember we were doing something on the back porch. I don't remember what it was, but it involved a hammer, I think. And uh, something didn't go right. And that's what he said, you know. And, and, but we all do that. We all just, just put the end on situations that we're going through. And that's what the devil wants you to do because he wants you to feel hopeless and he wants you to despair and he wants you to think that things look so bad that we might as well roll the stone over the door on this situation because it's just so bad. And I think about, when I think about this type of a situation, I think about those uh, TV shows, those uh, hospital shows where someone has gone into cardiac arrest and they pull the paddles out. You know what I'm talking about? But what if, what if those who are working with those who have had the cardiac arrest looked at the patient and then looked at the screen and saw the flat line and they thought, there's no point in getting the paddles out. This is over. You, know, you don't want that to happen. You don't even know who these people are, but you're like, get the paddles out. It's not the end. And what if, I don't know, what if, what if we looked at our hands as the paddles in our situation. And what if we put the paddles together and we prayed with more intensity when things got worse rather than just get frustrated and throw in the towel? And what if we, what if we demonstrated intentionally that we're worshiping you, God, because the devil's not going to have this. He's not going to have my feelings He's not going to win here. And I'll tell you what happens. And I, and I may be, I, I don't want to say slitting my own throat here, 
But sometimes as you pray those types of prayers, you get an understanding that, you know what? Even if God doesn't answer my prayer the way that I want Him to, everything's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And it's going to work out because He has my interest in heart here. And He cares about me. And He is working out a future that is wonderful for me. I'm just a little bit uncomfortable in what I'm going through right now, but at least I'm not in it by myself. At least I got him with me because he promised he would be with me. So God, thank you. Thank you for being with me. And, you know, you're grateful when you see those paddles come out on those shows and they use them and it works. And it's great. But sometimes, sometimes those paddles don't always work, do they? But these always work. Always. Prayer will always work. So whatever it is that you're needing God to work on, whatever your Lazarus situation is, I think we are given this situation to know that, that we don't ever stop praying and we don't give up believing in what God can do and that God sees and God knows. And even though it may seem like He's, he's staying away for a couple of days and then He comes in, that he still has a plan and he hasn't forgotten you or your situation. And he began to talk to Mary and he began to talk to Martha and he was trying to explain to them, you know, if you believe, just you'll not, you're going to see, believe and you will see. And so you think, okay, they're starting, their faith is really growing. It's, it's really growing. And then they, and then he goes to the grave and he says, roll the stone away. And you think everything is going great and we're moving up like the yodeler on the Price is Right game that we used to watch years ago, moving up the mountain. And things are going good and the faith is growing. And then we hear these words. Oh, it's going to stink. If you open that door, it's going to stink. It's going to stink really, really bad. And it's kind of like saying, well, we've already closed this up and we don't want to dredge everything back up again. So let's just, we've, we've kind of moved on. But that doesn't phase Jesus. And you know what I get from that is that Jesus didn't let the stink stop him. And I tell you, our problems stink, don't they? And they're, a lot of times, they're problems that we have made, that we have created, and they stink really, really bad. But he is not going to let the stink stop him, okay? No matter how bad it is, no matter how bad it stinks. Because he was on mission for the Lord, okay? He did what the Lord did. He did what God did. He said what God said. He act in a, acted in obedience to what the Father wanted him to do. And everything worked out fine, didn't it? Now, years later, when Mary and Martha were sitting drinking tea or whatever one day, and they were talking about their life and the things that they've gone through. They probably said something similar to, you know, I really wish we wouldn't have had to go through the agony of our brother dying. But I'm so grateful that, that we did because of what God did after that. And, you know, again, I say this, sometimes we're so focused in on ourselves, we don't realize that God is doing something even bigger than, than even just answering our prayer. I want to finish with this. Um, I'm going to read from John chapter 12. And I don't think I gave you this scripture, Michael. But the miracle, 
God answering your prayer can be so much bigger than you, than you think. Because we know at the end of what we read that many people came to believe on Jesus. But John chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead. <laughs> what a cool statement. Lazarus, who had been dead, was there whom he raised from the dead. And then verse number two, there they made him a supper and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. And then verse number nine of John 12, much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there and they came not for Jesus' sake only. Now, Jesus, of course, is always the headliner. But have you ever been to a concert and you had an opening act and then you had your headliner and you just went to the concert for the opening act? ever done that? I think that's a little bit of what's going on here. They came to see Jesus because he was the big draw. But it says not only for Jesus did they come, but that they might see Lazarus also whom he had raised from the dead. Because it's not very many people can say, hey, I went to Bethany and I saw that guy that was raised from the dead. It's a verse number 10, but the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. Why would they want to do that? Verse, verse 11, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. So Lazarus coming back from the dead, that's what we always focus on because it's such a big deal. It's such a big deal. But and even in our lives, when God answers a prayer, it's such a big deal. We just love to tell people, God answered my prayer. Let me tell you what God did for me. But I wonder if we ever stepped back from that and looked around and saw how the, the waves of what happened in our life affected other people. Maybe those people that you were telling about your miracle, about God answering your prayer, start to get an idea in their head. You know, I've never really given this Jesus stuff a chance. But I have seen with my own eyes what God has done in their life. And I, I want God to do something in my life. And so God's always, God knows what He's doing. When you get a bad diagnosis, it doesn't take Him by surprise. When you get a, uh, a letter from a collection agency, when you get a devastating phone call, when your child is out and you don't know where they are, when your spouse is not as committed to your marriage as you are, when all of these things and many more things are happening, God's aware of what's going on. But what He wants you to do is believe that He is aware and that He can do far above and beyond anything that we can imagine. Think about it. Think about it. Now think about yourself and think about your situation. And when you see what happened with Mary and Martha and all that God was able to do, is there, is there any reason why you shouldn't believe that God's going to take care of you and He's going to do immeasurably more than you think He can? There's no reason for us to be discouraged, for us to put the end on our situation. We have every reason to believe that He is going to work and do something amazing. So I want you to stand, if you will, this morning.